This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. One of our all-time favorite guests is back with us today. I am so glad to welcome Jim Semivan back to Dreamland. We had a wonderful interview last year, and I thought to myself, one of the first guests I want back in 2024, Dreamland's 25th anniversary on the air, if you can believe it. And I still have hair. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, 25th anniversary year is Jim Semivan. To those few of you who don't know who Jim is, Jim was an operations officer in the Central Intelligence Agency for a significant number of years, 30 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. and is one of the founding members of To The Stars and is a generally remarkable man with a whole lot of knowledge about the very subject that we are all so interested in, which is the close encounter phenomenon, disclosure, and where this is all going. And is it always going to be going in directions that we want it to go? Jim, welcome to Dreamland. Oh, thank you so much, Whitley. It's just wonderful to see you again and to, and to chat with you again and to chat with your listeners. Um, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I absolutely loved your book, Them. And um, uh, I, I just think it was extraordinary. I, th- I consider it probably one of the best analyses of the phenomenon in the UAP situation out there today. So congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. I'm hard at work on another book. Um, I'm going to nail these guys to the wall. We, <laughs> we got it. We got to. We've got to be able to hold our own here, and that's not necessarily going to be that easy. Yeah. And so let's kind of lead into that by talking about this process that's going on within the United States government. Uh, on various levels. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a surface where someone like David Grush uh, g- goes before a congressional, bipartisan congressional committee in a, in a hearing that has gigantic ratings and lays it out saying things such as, we have bodies, we have physical materials, uh, we have worked on this, And there follows a very complex series of events. Where do you think this, it's not clear to me at all that the Defense Department is in concert with any congressional committee that wants full disclosure. Boy, yeah, that's a very good question. Well, as as you know, I mean, let me jump back to when, you know, Chris Mellon and, and Lou Elizondo were, were pushing this this whole idea of um, getting more information on UAPs and the phenomenon with Congress. And then uh, both of them did just a superb job. I, I, you know, I think we owe them quite a bit. We do, boy. I mean, really, really, really do. Uh, you know, and Chris, in particular, later on, I mean, he's been he's been holding their feet to the fire and continue to do so. I, I admire him greatly for that. So what it, you know, what all that, you know, now it wasn't just because too, there are a lot of other people, particularly in the government that really want this out. And these are people in the intelligence community and also in the Department of Defense um, who would like to see this, uh, see the light of day. Uh, that said, um, 
what we have now, you know, is we have the National Defense Authorization Act of 2024, and then we had a whole section uh, written uh, written up uh, on UAPs and the phenomenon in general. And it was very, very thorough. I don't know if you've read it or had a chance to yes, read I it. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's very, very thorough. And then, of course, you had some pushback. And the pushback actually came from a, a couple of members of Congress who were saying, well, wait a minute. Um, uh, we, we, we want to water this down a little bit. And it's essentially what they've done. The Schumer amendment, uh, basically wanted full transparency and, you know, and I think the Schumer amendment covered most, most of the ground that uh, most people would be concerned with if you were in the government. I mean, are we going to protect data and national security interests, things along those lines? I think the Schumer amendment really did a good job of taking all that into consideration, but in the end, and I've, I've, mentioned this to people in Congress, you you have uh, uh, basically what's going on is a, uh, a battle between the executive branch uh, and the government entities that work for the executive branch primarily, and then Congress themselves. Congress has a right to, to oversee anything that where U.S. government funds are being used. The executive branch, on the other hand, is basically saying, look, um, that may be the case and we will advise Congress, but not at the level you want us to advise Congress. So I think what's going on now is there are these legacy programs that are out there. I'm not going to get into where they are located. I do know where they're located and, and you know, and things along those lines. Dave Grush, by the way. Uh, a very, very nice man. Um, uh, he, you should take him and everything he says uh, to the bank. I mean, he's he's not uttered a false word as far as I know. And, um, um, you know, I've got to commend him for, 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 for coming out like this and um, putting his reputation on the line and everything else. Um, but what, what you have really is this, this idea that, and it's not just national security per se, but you have Congress saying, look, we need to know everything about this. And you have the executive branch coming back and saying, well, no, because there are there are other elements of this that you're not aware of that we don't think, um, uh, you know, would be suitable uh, uh, for public disclosure or even for disclosure to most members of Congress. So I think what's happened is in the very beginning, I think what had happened was Eisenhower or maybe Truman, but probably Eisenhower sometime in the early 50s. In other words, to get this whole topic of UFOs and UAPs under control, uh, probably executed a uh, presidential executive action uh, document, uh, which basically um, is pretty interesting. Not many people know about those, um, but the president has rather extraordinary powers. And where under extraordinary circumstances, he can come out and he could basically say, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And this is who we're going to tell. And this is who we're not going to tell. And that's, that's pretty much it. And it has a, a pretty strong legal precedent. Um, then you also have, um, and I think that's what happened. And I think what he did was basically say, I will notify, we'll, we'll make this a, you know, what we now call back in those days, we didn't have that, but we, we now call a, um, uh, a, a wavered, unacknowledged special access program, which basically means that you don't get, nobody gets to know what the hell it is uh, unless um, you're on this bigoted list, this very, very highly restricted list. 
And um, usually that would only include the president and, and probably, well, the president and whoever he, he deems um, uh, necessary for them to know. So I think that's what's what's going on here. And I think Congress wants to know more about it. And I think there are members of Congress who know about this. I think there are probably members of the Gang of Eight, maybe not all of the Gang of Eight uh, who know about this, but I think over the years, the past 80 years, um, that Congress has been informed, but in a very, very limited way. Now, you can make a strong case, I think, by saying that, no, you know, this is something we need to know. You said this in the, in, you know, in, in them, one of the very last things you said, I was thinking on a on, uh, on the last page, uh, uh, well, well, not the last page. So we need to organize a way to find this, organize it and what have you and, and theorize about it. But you also said it was the right, our inalienable right. And I agree with you um, to know about this. But it, again, it, yeah, it's a right, but it may be a rather dangerous one. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, let, let me also add, and, uh, you know, and for your listeners, you know, uh, when you think about this, um, there are national security issues naturally associated with this. Um, and that I, I don't think that's enough not to say, look, we're being visited, you know, or we, we, we have visitors and we're not alone in the universe or other non-human intelligence around. But you have to wonder, um, and I, let me give the government here the, the benefit of the doubt in some respects, why over 80 years, what, what did they know? What did they come across that is so, so problematic that they will not discuss this in any way, shape, or form? Um, that is that's something that I've been thinking about, and I've had other people involved tell me if you only knew the depth and complexity of this, and if you knew, you know, how frightening it is you would understand the government's, you know, reluctance to, to even admit, admit something is, you know, is what, what it's so obvious to all of us is that we're not alone. And um, there are other non-human intelligence that's on this planet. Why? why, why well, it's a, we, it, Jim, it's an ideal point to take a break, which we are supposed to do. Okay. Uh, and so for the, Three listeners, um, we're taking a break, and you're going to see an ad, quite possibly for them, which Jim seems <laughs> to like a good deal. Yes. And uh, uh, for the, our subscribers, always remember to tell your friends about Unknown Country and Dreamland, um, and uh, because it's a very special place. We'll be right back. We're talking to Jim Semivan, a CIA officer for many years, now a principal in To the Stars. And we're going to talk, let's talk a little bit about, before we go back, and folks, I'm not going to forget that incredible place we stopped. Don't worry. Uh, before we go back, though, let's talk a little bit about To the Stars and where it is right now and what's going on with it. Well, you know, oh, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, uh, you know, our company's doing rather well. We, you know, uh, we just put out, uh, we had had a script that we turned into a movie called Monsters of California. That's streaming now. You can pick it up on, I think, uh, quite a few streaming services, uh, Netflix, Tubi. I, and I'm not sure if it's on Prime Video, but it probably is. And that did very well. Tom directed it. Um, one of our board directors also helped fund it. 
Um, we have a, uh, a deal uh, we inked with um, last year with um, legendary pictures who were taking our secret machines trilogy, the, the fiction version and turning it into a, um, a television series. And that's, we have a writer for that, a very well-known writer whose name I can't say. Uh, and that's coming up. We have a, a couple, we have one biopic of um, uh, Hal Putoff uh, that we've done. And that's that's being worked on now. Probably about a dozen other projects. We have an animated series that was sold to Tubi. Uh, that's in the later stages of development. Uh, so things are going pretty well for us. You know, we turned ourselves into a... Um, entertainment company uh, a couple of years back because we, we had a research and development arm and we still have that. Um, but we had to sort of draw that back a little bit for lack of funds uh, when we realized how much money it would actually cost to do the research we want to do. So we haven't given up on that, but we decided we're going to need to get more money in the coffers to to go back to that. Now, we it's also have... Hard to get uh, yeah, we're also working with the Army Futures Command and some other elements of the government on some UFO material that we have. And um, that's proven to be quite interesting. We're, we're waiting for a report to come back from the government on what it actually uh, uh, is and uh, what they think it, it might be. There's always a possibility they may classify it. And there's not much we can do about that. So, but yeah, but Studio Tars is going great. Tom, Tom DeLong, you know, my partner and in crime here, he's 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 doing a great <laughs> job. Doing a great job. He's you know came back from a tour. He's he's going back out on tour again for another I think probably year, and then then we're going to reconcentrate our efforts. So, well, good. I'm very glad to hear all of that because I think that uh, getting this material out into the public is maybe in some ways even more important than the type of research you're attempting to do. I know from experience how difficult it is to get grant money for this research. I also know of some potential research that could really, really help understand the close encounter material. And I'm gonna be trying to get funding for that this year too. Uh, basically, uh, it is to, there's a way of telling, using a functional MRI scanner, the difference between a memory that a person is drawing from actual physical experience and a memory that they have without realizing it. And this happens all the time in the human brain confabulated. Right. In other words, it's not a lie detector. It's a, it's a, it's a detector basically of the, of the uh, origin of memories. Right. And it's, I've read some papers on it and it's working quite well. And I've, I'm hoping that I can raise enough money to be the first close encounter witness subject. I want to be the guinea pig. Wow, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that technology that they have now with the fMRIs, and they're able to do that. Certain areas of the brain that actually show you're right. The uh, that was an original experience as opposed to one that was confabulated or you know. Or Great. Made. I'll send you the paper. Sure, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to read it. Yeah. I'll put a link to it up on, on the show as well, because it's quite a good paper and it could help advance this dramatically. The only problem is, and this is a significant one, that there may be confabulation of the results if we don't have the right people doing the testing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sometimes very hard to tell 
what a person's actual motives are. And in this fraught situation that we're in, you just never know who you may be dealing with. Yeah. In the sense that there are there are substantial parts of uh, the, the whole defense apparatus that does not want this abduction stuff aired out. They don't want it. That's why I'm relatively isolated. Like at the Seoul conference uh, a, a few weeks ago, I, I was not allowed to speak. I was not invited to speak. And I mean, here were my my co-author Jeffrey Kripal spoke. Yeah, um, and all sorts of people I knew. I knew everyone. Almost everyone who spoke was a personal friend, but not me. And that was because uh, and Gary Nolan, who is himself a dear friend, uh, said that you know basically there were people in within the defense community who were at the conference who would not have welcomed uh, uh, anything from a close encounter witness being aired out there. And that's something that we have to get past somehow. Well, yeah, it's interesting you, you brought that up. Uh, I was invited to the Soul Conference, but I, I couldn't make it. Um, but but Gary, Gary's right, uh, you know, about at least about the idea of the government not wanting mm -hmm. to get into the abduction material uh, or contacting material. Um, you know, it's one of those things that they, you know, they're still struggling right now with with the science behind UAP. So they're into this nuts and bolts stage. And um, but one of the things in the Schumer Amendment, well, actually in the whole NDAA, uh, you can thank Chris Mellon for some of this and Lou Elizondo. They made sure that um, the biological perspective was put in and a psychological perspective was put in uh, that too, uh, because that was very, very important. And I think people in government do recognize that, but you can't, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to sell uh, to most people in the government, particularly into bureaucracies, which tend to be rigid. Um, uh, and they're used to, you know, more or less a scientific method, you know, uh, so, and, and this, as you know, doesn't, doesn't fit in. There's, there's no hat to hang on there. I mean, there's no hat rack to hang your hat on there. It's, you don't even know where to put the abduction, you know, a material. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't know how to explain it. The absurdity and complexity of it, as you've pointed out in many of your books. Yes. My God. It's, it's yeah. both in spades. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I understand why, although I have to tell you, um, within within that community, uh, in the government community, this is not something that goes unnoticed. I mean, it's something that really is forefront. Uh, but once again, they're they're trying to go through this, you know, step by step. And I, I think that's one of the things that the Schumer Amendment really wanted to do and how this was set up that you, you, you know, I, I was in front, I, I, you know, went to see the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. They invited me back. I haven't gone back. Um, I sort of said, said my piece, but, you know, there's this whole idea of uh, if you're going to have disclosure, you know, you're going to have to go about it methodically. My, that's what they were sort of saying. And that's what many people in the government are saying. My, my point to that is, um, and I said this for USA Today, they quoted me, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I said, look, I said, you can't, the president can't come on national television and say, we're here. 
uh, you know, with another another species, uh, another non-human intelligence, right. not alone in the universe. You, you you can't just leave it at that. You you can't just uh, you can't just say, and that's all I can tell you. I mean, yeah, well, that would be a thousand questions that'll be begged after that, right? You know, that what would be that? Yeah. a very difficult thing for any president to handle to walk out on. Oh, at a press conference and say only that and then walk off the stage? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, that's... I think it's going to happen, yeah. Hard to, hard to handle. But as far as the degree to which the abductions are known inside the defense community, which is so huge, there are... You know, we're going to find... I mean, I'm going to be frank, and I, you probably know this too. We're going to find out that We've gone a lot deeper into this than than uh, anyone would like to admit, at least at the present. Now, I, when I say that in regard to the abductions, back in the in the eighties, back in eighty six, before communion was even written, a man appeared in our lives, uh, Doctor David Webb. Uh, Doctor Webb, if you look him up, I believe it's David C. Webb on. Uh, Wikipedia, you will find that he was an advisor to every alphabet agency on the planet and a uh, very much respected uh, member of NASA. He never in, for a moment doubted our experiences and in fact in, uh, introduced me to an allergist who already knew how to protect us from allergic reactions, which can be extreme, apparently, when you come into close encounter with the visitors. They gave us epinephrine injector, injectors to have in every bedroom so that anyone who was touched by them, if necessary, could use one. And they were, every bedroom had epinephrine, an epinephrine injector in it. And uh, I was given allergy shots for two years. So obviously, someone oh and when i went back a year later to thank the allergist whom i only saw one time and then everything was done by mail after that including i i saw him one time to be taught how to give myself the allergy shots then i never saw him again and when i went back to his office thinking to thank him for uh, about after the about a year and a half after we started the shots They'd never heard of him. They didn't know who he was. Really? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> so, that doesn't surprise me, or I, uh, that doesn't surprise of me. Of course, it doesn't surprise you. You've been CIA for too long, yeah. so that got to surprise you. But it's funny as hell. Well, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's interesting. I know a lot of people. Uh, I got into a discussion not too long ago with a, uh, some friends of mine, some neighbors here, and. And they would always say the CIA does this or the CIA does that, you know, and you have to point out, you know, that the CIA, just like the Department of Defense and every other intelligence agencies, they're large organizations. Yes. And, um, and, you know, if you're looking at, particularly in this particular subject, if you're looking about who looking at who's dealing with this particular subject, these are extremely small niches. That's right. 
and very, right. very small throughout uh, throughout the intelligence community and the Department of Defense. So, um, you know, I always made, you know, somebody once asked me, said, well, you know, was there a UFO desk at the agency? Well, there was technically, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Kit ran one, you know, for a while. And and uh, I think Ron Pandolfi, Ron Pandolfi ran it for a while before Kit, after Kit. But there wasn't any place you can go to in the agency where on the door it said, you know, UFO. Oh, no, I don't think so. Ex- yeah. So, uh, so everything is, uh, anything in the intelligence community is need to know. And uh, right. if you don't have a need to know, you're not going to know. Even the stuff you get on your computer that comes in every day when you would come into the morning, you know, it was, if you were, if you're like for me, I was an operations guy. So I had to see everything that was going on in China, you know, terrorism, counterproliferation, Iran, you, you know, it would all come in, but, but then there were highly restricted areas that I, I wouldn't get to see. Like um, uh, now I, I worked on high technology things, foreign high technology for a long time. Um, um, so that's when, you know, and it, it was funny to me when, when, when the, the videos came out and people were, we're saying, oh, they're this and they're that, and you know, they're glitches in the and the radar or they're nonsense. Reflections Just, on the cockpit windows. Yeah, what we think they are, they're they're definitely non-human intelligences coming in. And um we, not that they, they've seen this before thousands of times. So it's not surprising. Well, the uh uh bottom line with regard to the allergist, he could have been just an ordinary allergist who moved offices and the new office people people in the office just didn't have any idea who he had, who he was i don't know but at the same time he could have been had some other locomotion obviously uh but he was introduced to me by De- dr webb and i was very grateful for it and dr webb david webb knew a lot about this whole subject he was he was it, he didn't offer much information but he was very encouraging about our relationship with the visitors and he wanted us to continue it and when it started to get pretty difficult uh and thought she said do you suppose they're sort of using us as a kind of experiment to basically see what happens what if you get eaten <laughs> Well, then I said, yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised at this point because we began to have quite a hard time. Yeah. Um, and it basically was, basically we were dealing with a single individual whom I, I think I could safely say fell in love with the family and began to come to the house a lot. Right. And uh, we moved our son to summer camp and something happened at the summer camp that made it clear that if we did not bring him back to the house, there was going to be trouble with them. Yeah. And, you know, now this gets me to the darker side of this thing that we just started to touch on before the last break. And now we're going to do another break. And I promise you folks, I swear we (laughs) will talk about nothing else. When we come back, I've been a bad boy. I admit that. We will, I'm not playing games, except to some degree. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Okay, Jim, let's get down to the nitty-gritty here about the difficulty that this whole phenomenon presents. And it 
it presents it to close in, in the close encounter situation. Say you may know somebody who's had a, a, a difficult close encounter. Um, someone maybe you whose name you can't reveal and don't reveal the name, but can you tell us some give you give us some impressions about what such an encounter might be like? Well, you know, there have been I've had numerous uh, friends who've had encounters varying types, um, um, you know, from, uh, you know, sort of similar to what I had, you know, where, you know, you're laying in bed at night and all of a sudden uh, <laughs> things happen, you know, and, you know, some entities pop in and uh, not frightening to me, but very upsetting to me in a human rights way. And I, again, I don't want to get, I, I don't, I, I've never really discussed it in detail except in one place. And that was with you and um, a few other people at Esalen a few years back. Yeah. Well, we don't want to, I don't want to, to put you on the spot, but suffice to say that uh, Jim had a difficult experience. Uh, his, uh, his person was violated like my person and many, many other persons have been violated. Yeah. Yeah. But the best example and the one I like to use most of the time is is uh, Chris Bledsoe's. Uh, you know, uh, most of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Chris uh, and Chris's story that began in around 2008. And, you know, the uh, what drew, drew me to him and I, I he's we become close friends now. And not only drew me, but it drew NASA and it drew DOD and, you know, and probably every other agency down at one point or another to actually chat with him and chat and talk with him um, about it because there were so many elements in it um, that uh, struck a chord with, uh, with everybody. Um, NASA in particular, uh, given Chris's uh, experience with what we call the lady uh, and um, his other experiences um, uh, regarding um, these beings that he saw uh, you know, there were these translucent beings with the big red eyes and, and what have you. But his experience in general sort of mirrored most uh, of these. He, you know, he he uh, uh, met met these non-human intelligences up close and personal. Um, they passed messages to him. Uh, messages were, you know, well, I mean, you know, this is your burden, you know, the they would hand him a little piece of fuzzy something or rather looked like a ferret or something and said, this is your burden. Very odd stuff. And, you know, Jacques Vallée talks a lot about the complexity and absurdity of all this stuff where you, 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 you get a situation even with me is one of the reasons I don't like talking about it is because it's, it's so damn absurd. I mean, you know, how do you make sense of all this? How do you explain it in any sort of way? Uh, without people well, notice this. well, you know this, I mean, this is, this is your, <laughs> your experience to the T, but what it, what it all comes down to is to me is, um, you know, if you talk to a quantum physicist and a quantum physicist will tell you, look, you know, no matter what anybody else says, a lot of, a lot of physicists are very, very uncomfortable with the fact that quantum physics basically said, we're all just energy patterns. We're all just here. I mean, we're just here, a bunch of massive spinning atoms and electrons and photons and quarks. And then when you look even deeper and deeper and deeper, you don't see very much, much else. So, uh, you know, is matter, you know, really an illusion? And the answer, if you're a quantum physicist, is indeed it is. Um, and, and that we are all 
all are illusions to a certain extent. I don't know how this consensus reality that we see works, but we seem to be creating our own reality all the time as we go along, these little microseconds of time. So the point is, to me, is when you're dealing like what you had, you're trying to explain something that's probably happening on a level that is so different than ours um, and so removed from from ours, but we're part of it, but we just can't see it because we're blinkered. I mean, we, we could only see so much, smell so much, hear so much. Our senses are, are very, very limited. And I'm sure these, these others are sort of looking down at us and going like, my God, they're living, you know, like little, and you pointed this out numerous times in your books, you know, we're living like these little animals, like ants or cats or, right. dogs or insects. We can't see anything. Running around in our little burrows without any idea of the bigger world we live in. Right, exactly. And uh, But getting back to the, the original question, and I'm sorry I digressed there for a minute, but the reason I brought that up was because if, if indeed we are dealing with a presence that has the ability to operate, which I believe it does, in, uh, in a time-space continuum that's different than ours, or dimensions that are different than ours, they can bleed in and out, and they're basically playing games with us, well, then we have a whole, we have a whole other kettle of fish here because are they, are they, are they, you know, let me speak, you know, from, from a human sense, we always want to judge. I mean, are they good or are they bad? Well, what if there isn't good or bad? What if there is, they don't recognize good or bad. They don't recognize anything. They just do what they want to do. There is this trickster element to all of this. Uh, which is very disconcerting. Um, yes. It lies to people. It's deceitful. Um, uh, it never really explains itself. I think in them, you pointed out, there's never been one, one instance where one of these non-human intelligence ever sat down at a table, you know, across them, it's like you or me or somebody else, and said, no. okay, here it hails what happened, right? And let me explain it to you in your terms, what's going on. That just doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, I, I think it could happen because some of the, especially the little gray people, are very physical, at least at times. Right. And, and this is something that's hardly ever discussed. There are people, and I'm personally convinced of this, there are human beings who are somehow or another connected with them in, in a way that you and I aren't. Uh, well, I could be, but I don't think you are. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the stories in them is, is a by a sent to me by a young guy. He was um, uh, on station, I believe, in Germany, and he met this girl that he was just crazy about, he, and she reciprocated to his amazement, and they became friends. And it built gradually until finally they made love with one another. And it was a wonderful experience for him. He thought he'd found his wife. And the next thing he knew, she cut him off, wouldn't talk to him anymore. And then she told him to come down to her apartment. And she said, you're not going to see ever see me again after tonight. And whereupon he slowly turned into, before his eyes, sitting across the room from him, just a few feet away, a gray. 
and then turned back into her human form. And he was left thinking, my God, I gave an alien a baby. That was all it was about. Mm -hmm. Now, you'd think that this has to be impossible. It can't be true. I mean, what? how could that work? I mean, someone from another world, the DNA, the match of a, it, it's all crazy. It just doesn't seem possible. Yeah. But what if it is? Yeah. Well, I and, think, yeah, go ahead. No, and maybe someone inside this deeply layered place that we call the defense community knows this. Yes, they do. And I can tell you they do, um, as a matter of fact. The problem with that is we're, our science, and we don't have a science of the soul, as you, you once mentioned, too. Um, we don't have that. And I think when you look at our scientific model of the paradigm that we use, it's just wholly inadequate to study this subject. And um, uh, I know you and Jeffrey uh, Kripal, you know, mentioned, I don't know which one it was in one of your book, I think Supernatural, where you mentioned William James's version of a radical empiricism, you know, a new model of science where you would look at the, you know, the things that are, uh, you know, anomalous and strange and, and then allow that in and then figure out a way to, to, to you know, to research it and what have you. That, that isn't going on. It's going on, you know, in little, little areas of places. But, you know, one of the things that stopped funding for this um, years back um, in this, probably I would say from the late 60s until uh, probably even the early 2000s, um, um, well, there were two things. One is when you were throwing money at a problem, the government has limited amount of funds. So you're going to go after what's the most important thing on your priority list. And it's always going to be terrorism or Russia or China or what have you. And then you're going to look at these other things like UAP and say, well, doesn't pose an immediate threat to us um, and hasn't posed one to us. And it's one of these things that we don't really understand and we don't have the science to understand. Are we going to throw a hundred million dollars at this? Um, because we've tried over the years and can't come up with anything. So that's, that's one thing where you say like, well, okay, the funding, maybe we're not going to give that UAP stuff too much, too much more. We'll focus on a national security. Can we extrapolate data from the downcraft and what have you? Yeah, that's, I can see that happening. But the other problem was, um, you know, a lot of people uh, thought this was a demonic uh, uh, force that somehow yes. uh, we were dealing with and that it wasn't very smart. Uh, of us to, uh, you know, going, throwing a lot of money at something which really could have been, you know, just uh, not necessarily evil, but sometimes what's worse than evil is indifference, right? Uh, right. Its own form of evil. And and we, we've never really experienced, um, I don't think, um, a, a positive side to this outside of the fact that you can point to some people like, you know, Chris, Chris Bledsoe, you know, who's yeah, was just going to get life around. I mean, it's just, he's become a healer. What a wonderful man. And um, he, you know, and, and it happens to a lot of people too, with these experiences, they become very, very different people, good people, uh, more interested in, in, in things. But by the same token, um, that didn't have any effect on me. Uh, not that way. I mean, I was always that way. At least I hope I thought I was. But it did it did uh, make me realize and understand that there are forces out there 
which we don't know much about. Uh, um, and that scares me. Um, doesn't scare me to the point that I stop living my life, but it gives me great pause when people will say to me, well, let's, uh, let's, you know, let's get the Ouija board out and do this, or let's, let's, uh, you know, make contact or try to make contact. Well, okay. But I always say, go to that. And yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. But if you want to go into it, please go in, but make sure you're well tethered to the ground, uh, you know, uh, psychologically, number one. And, and number two, you have a backup plan. Um, <laughs> because you don't remember John Keel made that famous statement. I think it was in, um, um, uh, Disneyland of the Gods, uh, which I think he really came out of that in the eighth tower, where he basically said, look, this is all to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's all a big cosmic put on, you know, it's just a joke. And, um, and these things, basically, this, this phenomena, isn't really a, a healthy partner, it isn't some, it isn't something that's going to get giving you anything that's nurturing you in any way or explaining itself in any way or making things better for you. So I don't know. I mean, you you could look at it both ways. I'm sure I, I don't want to be narrow minded about it, but um, um, I am just very cautious about it. Some of my friends are not cautious. You know, Chris Mellon and I always talked about, you know, a few years ago, we had a really interesting conversation you know, did we open up Pandora's box? And when we brought this out from the government, you know, and, and the answer, I think, is still up in the air. But his point was to me, and I think to you, uh, your point, and, and, I, I, and I have to agree uh, that this has to come out. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous that we're not discussing this. Well, just a minute. I'm making a note here. The note says Pandora's box. Yes. And the reason I made that note is that we are coming to the end of the free part of the show. And I would like to thank all of my free listeners for spending some time with us. And I hope you spend more time with us over the, the 25th anniversary year of Dreamland. I can't quit talking about it because I can't believe that in 25 years, I looked and I have missed only about 10 Dreamlands in 25 years. And I, I couldn't believe that I'd done that much. And it's all available, by the way, folks on unknowncountry.com, at least going back to 2004 and a few shows from before then, a vast trove of remarkable information. And now, subscribers, we're going on to Pandora's box. We're not going to open it. Don't worry. We're just going to fool with the lock a little bit. <laughs> Thank you very much, Free Dreamlanders, for being with me and Jim. And it's, go to uh, uh, streaming and watch the California, uh, uh, what's it called? California, uh, Monsters of California. That's Monsters of California, yeah. yeah. Watch Monsters of California for sure. And keep your eye peeled for more stuff from To The Stars because they're, they're rocking and rolling and it's going to be very exciting. Yes. Thank, thank you, everybody. Okay. Now, you know, it's possible. I haven't interviewed Chris Bledsoe, and, and I'm going to do that for sure this year because Chris is, is kind of his book's out, and he's kind of coming to the fore. And there's a significant difference between 
my life and my experience and Chris's, uh, he's had basically a good experience. Yeah. I've had a very challenging experience. I wouldn't say it was all bad, but it was not all good either. It's been extremely revealing of all kinds of things that we basically would really would give us pause, uh, uh, primarily surrounding their motives that uh, their motives for what they want to do with our bodies and what happens uh, because I've been, I've had semen taken from me, my wife and I have apparently, I'm not sure, but apparently we experienced the loss of a fetus. Uh, th these are two classic things that happen to close encounter witnesses. Um, we have also been richly, richly uh, supported on many, many different levels. Uh, and so it's not, it's a very complex experience. You know Chris well, and I want to yes. talk a little bit about the difference. And, you know, did I open Pandora's box by going out in the woods and thinking to myself, I want more of this because this is real, even though it's scary? Uh, and did they maybe come to me because they thought I might do that because I was a horror novelist and fascinated, more fascinated, more curious about fear than afraid? Well, you so, know, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, well, no, I, I, it's an interesting take. And, and you know, and I, uh, you know, you read stories about, you know, how do they choose the people they, they, they're, they're in contact with? Do they really, I mean, is it something that sort of, you know, looked at, I mean, is a, maybe, maybe it's a generational thing. Uh, maybe it's your aura. I mean, what kind of electromagnetic energy do you, you put out, your body puts out? Um, uh, maybe that attracts them. But the fact that you sought further contact um, to me, you know, indicates that a uh, you're a, a very brave and intrepid soul. Uh, for, I mean, far more than I would have done. I would have crawled crawled under the bed, and uh, almost did. And um, um, but getting back getting back to your experience and, and, and Chris's experience, you, you, there was a lot of similarities. I mean, Chris's experience was so frightening uh, to him in the beginning and to the people that he was with in the beginning, particularly to his young son who was with them there. Um, uh, I mean, when these beings were showing up, uh, at his, they showed up at the river, they showed up at the house, you know, three spacecraft following him around things along those lines, a lady coming, visiting uh, his dog, almost dying and he, him healing the dog, you know, uh, right away, seeing shadow entities, it broke up his family for a long time to the point where the kids didn't want anything to do with him. Everybody thought he was crazy. His parents wouldn't speak to him. His his church kicked him out. Um, uh, and it wasn't until he kept talking about it and talking about it. And he basically said, you know, uh, finally, at one point, he said something like he went out in his yard and said, I'm done with this. This is giving me nothing but trouble. And that's when the lady showed up. And the lady said, you know, this is this is a burden you have to bear. And, you know, and we need you to we need you to talk about this. So when that happened, that seemed to change for Chris. Um, I came down and met with his family um, and uh, as with some people from the government and tried to assure the family this 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 is 
this is not untrue. What, what Chris is talking about is actually very real. And then it came out that some of his family members had also experienced some of this stuff too. So, uh, and along with you now, well, so Chris has taken that experience and, and transformed it into something very positive and he remains very, very positive about it. Um, I, I think you're a little bit different um, in the sense that you're just naturally uh, reflective. And, uh, and I think that you, you're not you're not as accepting and um, you're accepting of the experience, but you're not accepting of what what maybe either the the entities are telling you or pointing you towards. In other words, it's always going to be a question with you. It's yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm I, I would like to cut the cards. I grew up playing poker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, now, interestingly enough. Uh, last year, starting in the third quarter of last year, I began to come to the realization, and uh, uh, and it, it was confirmed for, to me in various ways, that these entities want Chris's story to be brought forward. Yes. This is, and I think that there are other people, uh, maybe people of, within the in the government who have been given the same message. And uh, so I'm going to be helping bringing his story, bring his story forward because it's a good story. And it is a story that has value. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I'm going to bring it forward in the context of let's not f forget to cut the cards. Yeah. You yeah. Know, which is, that's my nature. Well, you know, it's fascinating when you, when you, you know, we, Chris, Chris, Chris has a book out now called UFO of God. Yes, I know. I read it. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. And um, but also you get a guy like Robert Hastings. You know, I have a couple of copies of his book here. Um, you know, UFOs and nukes. This was a book, by the way, when when Robert wrote that. I mean, it was on everybody who was dealing with this topic in the government had that book on their desk. Um, he's yes. very, very well known. And he was sort of surprised, I think, when I told him that. And I didn't, didn't tell him that. Everybody told him that, you know, Lou right. and everybody. He was very, very surprised. It's the same thing with your books. Um, uh, people knew who you were in the government. People had communion on the desks and they knew what was going on. The, they had the same problem that you had and still have and that I have. And that is, what the hell are we dealing with? They have... I think some insights into the nuts and bolts of all this, but only only insofar as it relates to our science um, and what they can pull from it to make the expand what we know about our science. There's a point where you hit a wall and 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 you just say, well, I, we just don't have the the can to to go after this anymore. We're going to have to wait until science develops a little bit further down the road to maybe look at this propulsion system or maybe look at the material um, on here or, you know, the, how how these beings were able to pilot these craft. Um, so uh, I or. Uh, well, I don't want to get into that, but, um, you know, I was going to talk about communications with with these non-human intelligences. But, you know, you you have to be very, very careful. I remember a story um, and this is a cautionary tale. Um, I was at, at the agency and I was running a, uh, a a unique program. It was a combination of military intelligence and and CIA and some other people where we would go out and 
do some crazy stuff. I mean, basically stealing stuff all overseas. It was it was a lot of fun. Anyway, it was probably the best time I I, I had. And, so uh, it was now we know your secret. Well, it was highly successful, and we saved the government. Literally, I was told, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in R and D and everything like that. So, but it was very, very successful. And uh, but one of the guys that came to work for me in the military um, uh, was uh, it was a very interesting guy, senior intelligence officer. And uh, at the time, I was reading a book on remote viewing, and I can't remember what what book it was. But they kept referring to this guy. Uh, I'll, I'll just say his first name, Al. And they gave an initial for the last name, Al, 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 all throughout the book. And as I was reading the book, I said, God, this guy sounds like my buddy Al here. Um, and uh, so I confronted Al uh, one afternoon and in a very nice way. And I just said, Al, I said, I'm reading this interesting book. And I said, are you? And Al was, you know, really into the deep black stuff in the, in the DIA side, you know. And, and he goes, yeah, that was me. And uh, he said, yeah, I wasn't real happy when they put their, you know, put me in the book, even though they didn't mention my last name. And I said, oh, and I said, well, how long did you work for? It was a remote viewing program. Um, and um, I think it was I think it was Grill Flame at the time or I can't remember what they call yeah, it. It was Grill Flame. Yeah. And um, he said, um, well, uh, he said the problem was for me and he got real nervous uh he was telling me this story it was clearly it was the fact he was a very nice guy very sensitive guy very bright and he said i he said we we had trained a guy to go out and he said and we gave him all the parameters and the training that we knew about you know and we let him go out and he never came back and i said well what do you mean and he said he apparently ran into something out there, you know, wherever out there, you know, at the coordinates they had given him. And he essentially became catatonic. And here is a guy, uh, married, kids, uh, probably early 40s, from what I understand. Um, and um, they basically, and, I, and Al said to that day, he was still barely able to speak. Um, so my, my point, my point is, I guess, with all of this is, you know, wander into this if you want, but, you know, just wander in there with a flashlight and, um, uh, you know, maybe a grenade in your back pocket because you never know what's going to happen. I'm teasing about the grenade. Don't do that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's not what I would call, uh, you know, it, well, you look at the saints, you know, when the saints, you know, they get blown away by some of this stuff when they would touch you know, they would touch their idea of the Godhead. And that's what these mystics would do, right? They would they would get, they would pray so so much or chant St. Teresa, you know, St. Francis and what have you. They have these incredible experiences. It wasn't long lasting, but it was very, very powerful. And in some cases, very frightening. Yeah, Are you reading, are you aware of this new book, uh, um, They Flew? No. No. Well, uh, Diana Pasulka's reading it. Jeff Kripal's reading it. I'm reading it. A lot of people are reading it uh, in our world. Uh, uh, it's called They Flew. And it's a book about uh, those saints that you're talking about. Sure. Okay. And it's brain bending because they did fly. The book never asserts that, but it doesn't need to. It All it does is present all of the witness testimony that accumulated around these people. And it's really quite fascinating. Um, the, the, 
the other thing though though that I want to go on to is it has has to do with the what you touched on the propulsion system and I know and I don't need to ask you if you know because you probably do that we don't haven't made much progress with this and I think that the reason has to do with something you talked about and that Jeff and I talked about back in Supernatural, which is uh, the William James shift in the way, basically the way the scientific method is works. We have to stop working. We have to turn it inside out and stop, start working from observation uh, rather than simply rejecting things that we think can't be true. Now, I'm obviously nobody's rejecting the, a propulsion system that we can see functioning, but what we are rejecting are possibilities relating to the mind. I mean, if these people flew, there's something about the mind that we are rejecting. And that might also have something to do with how you make a propulsion system that doesn't use speed that works some other way i mean doesn't use an energy source that works some other way because that's what this is yeah uh yeah i mean i i remember and i i don't know where i read this or whether i heard this it's my function of my age but and i don't know whether this apocryphal or not uh, but it's it's uh, supposedly in one of these craft um there there wasn't any you know there wasn't anything that looked like um, or that looks like a propulsion device. There was some kind of a, a, a device, but it was, it, it wasn't, there was any, there was no mechanical elements to it at all. That's exactly what general Exxon said. Yeah. And Please. yeah. And essentially it worked uh, because the beings that were flying these things, or they say flying, I don't know what the hell you'd call it, but um, the beings were able to become part of the machine or part of the craft. Um, yes. Yeah. And then just through thought control. Now we see that, you know, with these new technologies coming up with brain inserts where people that have, you know, disabilities are now able just through thought, uh, being able to work their arms and their legs. So that's a sort of a primitive version of what this might be. Um, uh, you have, you know, aircraft pilots uh, or fighter pilots who, uh, you know, now they're training, you know, to look at um, whether they're going to fire, fire a weapon by their thoughts only to make it quicker. Uh, now, we'll probably go remote drones in the future and stuff like that. I don't think pilot. I think pilots will probably have seen their day, but for the most part. Uh, but yeah, you, you're right. Uh, don't know. I, we, we don't know. We're, 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 we're in uh, what, what Whitley Strieber calls unknown country. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And a little uh, bit of dreamland thrown in, right? Yeah. You know, I, I interviewed Grant Cameron a few months ago about his new book, UFO Sky Pilots, which is, uh, which very forcefully struck me. And the reason is it's about people uh, who have flown UFOs and universally they describe it as becoming part of the machine. Yeah. And what interested me and the reason, you know, I would, there was a time when I would have been very hesitant about something like that because it seems so completely crazy, <laughs> you know, frankly, but I did, I do have a tiny free floating memory and I, I have a lot of free floating memories and I don't generally talk about them because they're free floating. I mean, what can I do? I mean, I, I, I can't, 
you know, they don't have any story connected with them. What can you do with them? But this one now has a story connected with it. It's the story Grant Cameron wrote. I have a free-floating memory of having the experience of putting my hands on something and my entire awareness went whooshing out into this machine. And I became, I became, I became not the pilot, but the flight itself. And it was just glorious. Glorious. Yes. And that's all. I mean, I, 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 if you ask me how long of a memory it is, I can't tell you. It, it feels like a couple of seconds. Yeah. Maybe. Well, you know, yeah. When, when you think about it, I mean, we're, we're all, I mean, the non-human intelligences are, are, clearly a part of the universe they have to yes yeah so but and we're a part of the universe so we're connected in some form or fashion and they may look at us as being this little vessel that's sort of constrained by our physical you know attributes and by our brain and and what have you and unable to get out from that or break free from that and whether that's because we've become more left brain uh you know as opposed to right brain over the years that we just forgot all about the right brain and maybe we had these connections um to nature and to spirit world and what have you much maybe that was much more natural to us and then over the uh over the decades or eons that sort of went away or at least it was subdued um but we are a part of this and this is what's always to me the most optimistic thing when i when i get sort of down in the dumps about thinking about all this stuff I always think, well, it's not. It, we're we're part of it. We we are actually stardust. We are actually part of the this non-human intelligence that's out there. We're connected in some form or fashion. What that is, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out when we when we move or you know transition from this life to maybe something totally different. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go to that other life, you know, and then figure out. Well, you don't we don't quite give you all the answers now. You know, <laughs> you got to go on and to another thing. You know, down the road, I don't know, but um. No, I think I think what happens to you after your death is incredibly complex. Yeah, I think a, a great deal happens, and it's it really, you know, you you've mentioned somewhere that you think of us as living in a little corner of a very huge reality, or mm -hmm. words to that effect. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that once we're outside of the body, we no longer have the physical body, that reality presents itself to us. Yeah. Well, you know, can I throw one more thing in here? Something Peter Lavenda wrote down, uh, and I think in his Secret Machines, God's Man in War, War is hopefully coming out soon, but uh, the trilogy, and which is really the philosophy behind To the Stars. I mean, the, the books were written primarily to explain you know, the mission of To the Stars and what we think. And um, uh, and Peter uh, and Tom, you know, uh, you know, contributed to it. But Peter, um, you know, wrote and, and, and it was the belief we hold in To the Stars is that that we're not in control of disclosure. We're not in control uh, of what we're able to find out from this non-human intelligence that they're in control. And right. And they're the ones who are basically determining when the government's going to come out with this um, uh, and everything else. I mean, there's just no way. And and the other thing is there is no government out there that can control this. I mean, you know, we, we bitch and complain about the U.S. government not being completely forthright and forthcoming. 
But in the same token, the government may not may be able to come out and say, yeah, we know this is real, just like you know it's real. But they're not going to maybe not be able to add all that much to it, all that much to. And then where does that leave us? So, I mean, to me, disclosure is, is it's already been out there. It's when your book came out, when communion came out. That was one of the big, big blocks, you know, that sort of cemented this down. Everything has been written by, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sturick and um, Jacques Vallée and you and Jeff and all these books, all these books I have behind me. Those are all building blocks, you know, major yeah. important building blocks. Some of them seminal, which I think communion was. Because right. communion really cemented, for me at least, the, the abduction scenario, the abduction experience as being real. When you get a, an author, a well-known author, clearly a bright guy. And then when I met you, you know what I mean? I, you lived up to my expectations uh, and, and even more so. It, it, it's, oh, thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I'm not trying to blow smoke or anything. That's very mutual, though. I was very impressed with you, too. It's just that you realize that all these incredibly bright people that have written all these books, you know, they're not they're not making this stuff up. There's something going on. They feel something. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, uh, we like to give uh, we have to be, be careful about, you know, pointing fingers and stuff along these lines. And I know you don't do that. You've been very, very good about that, actually. And I try to be, too, because working for the government, I I I. I worked with a lot of these people and I know who, what they're like. I mean, they're just like me. I grew up in Ohio. I was a paper boy, you know, good Catholic boy growing up, you know, middle-class sensibilities and all that stuff, you know, very spiritually de devoted and uh, in, in my life, not religious, but spiritually devoted, you know, don't have an agenda. Uh, and I, yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, um, you know, sell a story or be a show for the government, but I think, I think we all have to sort of take, take, take a deep breath and say, well, okay, let's, let's, let's make sure we know that who the bad guys are, if there are, if there is a bad guy in all this and, and well, yeah. yeah, think about it. So, because we, you know, the, one of the first things you realize is that there's no, there, there aren't bad guys in this and there might not even be bad guys among the presence either. Yeah. It might be that everybody's fumbling around trying to figure out how to do this. I do know certain things about them. I know that individuals are much less developed among them, uh, among the greys, and, and I, I suspect maybe among all of them, although some of them have very different appearances, obviously, uh, than us. That we are, our biology makes us essentially much richer presences in the physical world than they are. Yes. And that that gives us advantages and disadvantages. It gives us one overwhelming advantage, which is that when we die, we throw off very big, rich souls filled with experience. And I think that there may be some predation going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, the, yeah. Yeah. So that's a an issue. But uh Overall, though, I think it's necessary to move ahead to be as neutral as possible because we just don't know. You know, their, their motives may emerge out of some kind of a desperation that we can barely even understand. That's, tr that's true. Uh, but having said all that, I, if, you, if you look at the government and their, their behavior, I think their behavior early on in, in all of this has has not been 
very good. Uh, no, they were terrified, to say the least. I mean, what they what they done to people, and what particularly some some agencies have done to people. Um, I, I just, it's just 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 awful. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think there was ever a covert action played on the American public, an official one at least. Um, I think you know the the Robin uh, Robertson you know panel and the, you know, the Condon committee, and then. Uh, with the Air Force Blue Book, I think you know there was a there was a concerted effort to downplay this, and at the time it was mostly they were concerned about Russian disinformation and things along those lines. I understand that, but I think what happened was it it just caught on to the point where it became this what Sturrock calls uh, the you know the, tr- the tradition of disbelief, where anytime somebody mentioned it, ah, poo poo, this look what they did to you. And, and, you know, and you, how fair is that? And, you know, where should there be? And this is what David Grush gets really angry about. And, you know, when I spoke with him, too, it's this idea that we have subjected these experiencers to this ridicule over so many decades, yeah. you know, and, 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 and uh, I mean, it's and it still exists. It still exists in some pockets of the government, too. So oh, it still does. Believe me. Yeah, I, I experience well, it all the time. Yeah, and then this is why, like Gary and Nolan was talking about, not you know maybe getting into the abduction experiences at you know at Seoul, was because this is sort of the second tier of that. We're we're basically you know getting to the point where the nuts and bolts is being accepted. So I think people are saying, well, before we introduce you know the abduction stuff, let's let's. And then there's also also I mean you know in your experience too, I mean you saw somebody from the CIA in your house in your bedroom. And you knew this person, but you also found out they had died six months before. Am I correct? Oh, no, he, I saw him in the woods, to, be, the to woods. be accurate. And yes, he died six months before. I knew him in school. We were good friends when we were kids. Sure. How the hell do you and, explain that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't how know. How do you explain that? Yeah. Well, you Did know. He, I, well, my, one explanation, I, my first explanation was he's not dead. He was screwing. He was part of the these people who were screwing with me and they they were committing a crime. They were. They drugged me or hypnotized me or something. Yeah. But I eventually confirmed he absolutely was absolutely dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, where, where do you, where do you put that? Um, <laughs> how do you. Well, the dead you know? showed up routinely with our, uh, uh, when, whenever we would have a group, we would have, an, we had a number of situations where we had groups of close encounter witnesses at the cabin. And very often, in fact, usually there would be experiences with the dead during the close encounter experience or before. And yeah. every time it happened before, Anne would say, the visitors will be here later. Because she was the one who identified this. She came out of her office one day and said, this would be, this has something to do with what we call death. And she based that on things she was reading in the letters. Jeez, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you guess we're... we're 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 flying down the rabbit hole now, boy, because you know we've been talking about this as if sort of it was a a presence kind of separate from us. Yeah, but that may not be. Yeah, and you know you you know you get into you get into the a huge question of what we are and whether or not we have created this in some, in some way that maybe this is part of us. 
Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, that's sort of the Jungian approach, right? I mean, you know, that, that we, we discuss this or this, this appears from our collective unconscious and it's trying to, you know, uh, trying to mitigate this psychic dis- disequilibrium, as I think Patrick Harper put it, um, uh, where, you know, this UFOs are out there for a particular reason to, to calm us. Um, you know, through our anxiety, through these, this, you know, these, this age, right? And and I, yeah, you know, I'm not any, you know, I'm not here to say that that that's wrong, but when you think about the idea of, for instance, your experiences as symbol, um, uh, and maybe the CIA fellow was uh, the uh, the entity's way or the non-human intelligence's way of showing you something or trying to tell you something through that, through the image of that person that they implanted maybe in your mind. You made a comment once uh, I read, I can't remember which one of your books, but it's always stuck with me. You, you said you were thinking about uh, why this is all happening and the purpose of all this. And there was a gray and maybe you can explain this much better than me, but the image of a, a coffin or the image of a casket came up. Yeah. You might, can you explain that one more time? Because I'm yeah, sure. Uh, what, what that was is this, I was going to, I was going out in the, that was when I was doing the woods, going out in the woods. And a couple of nights I had the feeling that there was one of these beings was quite nearby. And I began to have what I believed to be uh, some kind of telepathic communication with him. And I was already very concerned about telepathic communication because there's also something else in here called an imagination. And (laughs) I can see how the two could fail to kind of mix, get mixed up together. That's why I don't channel. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think that I'm, I have the discipline to do that. And uh, so in any case, the third or fourth night I was out there, I had I, I remember seeing the individual, but I don't remember. It, it feels like I saw him kind of in my mind. I didn't see him in the normal way, in other right. words. But I did, and I realized he was very old, and they age, these grays. They don't, they're not all, you know, robots at all. Some of them are very physical, and and at least at times, and they age. So he was old. And I asked him, I sat down on a, on a log, I believe it, 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 there was a, on the little path that I was on and it was very dark and I knew he was right across the path in some bushes, right behind me, right behind the bushes. And I asked him, what does the universe mean to you? And there appeared in my mind immediately a vivid image, as vivid as a superb television image of a closed coffin of a coffin. And it shocked the dickens out of me. It was the last thing I expected. But then I thought, what if they know it has an end and we can never leave it? Or if they know it doesn't have an end, which means we can never leave it in another way. Yeah. And I understood what that meant. And then I thought, if they're not as dense as us, are they as deeply embedded in the stream of time? And maybe they're not. 
And maybe, maybe what we are to them is almost like a drug that they can get into a state of communion with us and suddenly they don't have future knowledge constantly deadening their surprise. Right. They're like us. Everything, every second is always new. And if I'm right about this, we would be incredibly precious to them. Sure. We don't have the hive mentality. So we're in, we, our thoughts are individualized. That might be extraordinarily uh, appealing to them. Uh, of course. It's this, this, this grasping of life that all of us do almost every second of our lives, whether we're, you know, brushing our teeth, we're, we're, we're involved in this motion and an engagement with uh, everything that's around us, but we, we can't see beyond it. You know, our awareness is limited, but nevertheless, we are engaged in, in a very physical, real level. That might be something that could be terribly uh, appealing to to an entity that basically has a hive mentality and doesn't have that capability that we do. Right. Exactly. I think and I think it might be almost an, addic an addiction. Yeah. They might be addicted to us. <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, sometimes somebody once asked me, they said, if you had to describe these non-human intelligences, how would you describe them? And I would say well-educated teenagers. Uh, I said, because there's just an element, there's an element to them, you know, that, you know, it's a, it's a playful element in, in some respects. Uh, it could also be moody, you know, and, um, I, you know, I, I, and, you know, and of course a trickster and deceitful kind of thing, depending on if, if they even have moods. Uh, but I said sometimes that you know I think that's what we're dealing with. But an extremely precocious teenager, right? They have moods, all right. They can be pissed off. I've mm -hmm. pissed them off many times, <laughs> and, and and recently, as you know, I mean, you went through that incident oh. with me uh, last year where the explosions started happening and the apartment was broken into, and yeah, I eventually figured all of that out, and. And and I've I'm not going to have that problem anymore, but it yeah. did it did emerge out of their anger at at the fact that I'm I'm too much of a blabbermouth. Yeah. Um, well, you I know mean, they, they they got a big problem now, uh, Whitley. Uh, they got a big problem now, and the, and and I think it's much. I mean, once this is the this is another thing that I always like to like to make sure that people understand. You don't. I think most people don't understand when the government, when a government agency, and this initially like the Department of Defense comes out and basically doesn't rule out UAPs. Right. Well, Congress gets these briefings that I got, you know, and all this kind of stuff earlier on and sees the evidence um, and knows that there's much, much more behind the curtain, but they can't get at it. They, I mean, you'd have to be an idiot not to realize that this stuff is really real and it's 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 true and and you know we're living in a whole different universe than we thought you know we thought we were living in so uh i mean i i think again going back to this whole building block image of all you guys you know working so hard over the years pulling this stuff out and putting it out and putting it out and getting laughed at and ridiculed and now you're getting to that aha everybody's getting to that aha moment and now they're coming back to you and going like well you know here's the great wise whitley right you know you told us this <laughs> right. 50 freaking years ago and and now yeah okay we'll start taking you seriously and i think you're going to see more of that yeah, yeah. Now that I've been beaten to a pulp, 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, lift the pulp up and say, "Hey, you're still in there." Well, you know, it's it's funny. I I when I was when NASA put together their uh, little little group, um, I, uh, I I chatted with one of the people that was um, help putting it together, and I I said, "Do you have any religious scholars?" Uh, and do you have any psychologists, sociologists, things along those lines, and uh, and people that have had you know these experiences up, up close and personal? I was thinking of you, maybe Chris, hoping that they would have this insight and say, "Well, God, we have to bring these people in. We have to figure this out." And I was thinking, like, "Gosh, I could, I can recommend great people, right? I got you know Jeff Kripal, you know, you got Diana, um, uh, you, you know, there was there's you know Jock Valet. No, they were all scientists." And I said, well, did they all, did any of them have a background in this? None, none, zero. Yeah, and they, they, they're pre-loaded to say yes. no. Yeah. And what came out of that, you know, was, you know, was basically saying, well, we'll look into it, you know, we'll keep looking into it. But NASA, of course, in my opinion, I don't think they're telling the whole story. I don't think they can. Um, I think they're limited uh, by these rules, whether it's a presidential executive action document or um, they actually have their own, you know, uh, uh, wavered, uh, you know, unacknowledged saps, um, you know, they're sort of constrained about what they can and can't do and what they can and can't say. Um, but my, I, I still hold to this idea, having worked in the government for so long, uh, and particularly uh, almost 99.9% of what I did was 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 classified. Um, uh, I would say about a third of it, you know, at the top secret level and the SAP level, or what we call restricted handling, that kind of level. So you see, sort of see how those situations work. And I think the government just has an enormous problem with this, and it's a hot potato, and nobody knows what they want. <laughs> I remember, you know, hearing conversations from old timers who were telling me that they would, you know. People, when they talk, we came to UFOs at the time. It was like a, everybody was trying to throw the potato to somebody else. Nobody wanted it. Because right. they Nobody wanted it. Yeah, because they realized all of it in gender, you know, is this, you know, people calling you up and wanting to know X, Y, and Z and having, uh, you know, limited information yourself. You're only able to tell them so much. And then you think you're hiding stuff. And then there's conspiracy stuff going on. And, 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 and the government brought that on themselves too, because it made it look like a conspiracy. You know, when the Robinson panel looks at, I think it was Robinson or Condon, I can't remember which one of them looked at, you know, you know, 1% of the Air Force cases, you know, and, and it took 12 hours to come to, come to some kind of conclusion. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't bode well, you know, uh, no. for, uh, for people's acceptance. And right now no. we don't need, we don't need more people not believing in the government um, uh, because the, you know, to me, this government is the best civil service and best functioning government in the world, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've had military people, very senior military people approach me uh, about this and say, well, what do we do? I mean, where, you know, this is this is really problematic. Do, where do we go? And these are people that were not associated with the legacy programs that exist. And these are people that, you know, on a daily basis, their their troops and or you know, the people under them were experiencing this. And, you know, there was no, there were, were no real answers uh, I can give them. And, and um, I think, you know, Lou, uh, Lou Elizondo, when he was the head of ATIP, I mean, that was, that was really what drove him. 
um, uh, because, you know, you even in CIA, I mean, you know, you know, when a military person comes to you, when I was working for CIA and said, we understand there's this new weapon out there and we don't know a damn thing about it. Can you help us? The answer wasn't maybe we'll think about it. The answer was, was yeah, just give me five minutes to make some phone calls and, you know, and we'll do that because everybody wanted to get this done. You know, it was all about the defense of the United States. It was all about supporting the troops. It always is and giving them good intelligence or what have you. So uh, this is much, much too um, important. Um, uh, you know, our, our only problem right now is, and, and you pointed this out before, you know, this creating it an, on an, an ontology and then hopefully later in a taxonomy, but we can actually look at this in a reasonable way and try to figure out what we need to do to investigate it further. Uh, you're seeing the beginnings of that with the NDAA that's coming up. Yeah. Hopefully that will pass in some form or even if it passes without the Schumer amendment to it, it's still a huge, huge deal. I mean, I, in in my, you know, where I worked for government, on, you know, in different capacities for 34 years, 35 years, I've never seen legislation like this. This is this is a big deal, particularly on a topic like this. You know, this is not. Yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. We're, we are indeed living in interesting times in a good way and a bad way, you know. Uh, so, you know, and, you know, and once again, Pandora's box, you know, eventually it's going to get opened. So let's steal ourselves. Let's strap ourselves in. Um, yeah. <laughs> We're going to open Pandora's box inevitably. Yeah. People like us. Well, you know, it may be, you know, Whitley, that, you know, you know, a year or two down the road, you might get a phone call. And say we're putting together a presidential panel because we have all kinds of problems with this and we need to understand this. And so, I mean, when you look at who the experts are, well, yeah, I mean, you have to have some scientists there, but you also have people that have experienced this. They it's very it. important not to because science is only part of this. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I, you know, I, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do it to the stars when we first started, of course, we had these, you know, uh, perhaps a little naive when we started this out, but creating an international uh, group, uh, you know, uh, a community workshop, so to speak, where we had people from all around the world, you know, where we would give them the monies to do research projects, you know, $50,000, $100,000 here, working on this particular thing and have it open to the public and open to the government, too. So the government could tap into it and say, look, this is what this is what people are saying about this in the hopes that we would understand that. Right now, we have these these small individual foundations, all great. I mean, it's all wonderful. But, you know, some of them are working at cross purposes. Some of them are doing totally different things. It would be nice. And that's OK. They can do that. You know, it's sort of decentralized. But I wish there was a way that we were actually able to connect them all in some form or fashion where we'd be able to basically, you know, you know, learn from others experiences and then connect the dots together as opposed to connecting them, trying to connect them individually. And um, maybe somewhere down the road, a parent organization, we were hoping TTS would sort of fill that role to a certain extent. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, at least now, anytime soon. It may down the road if we ever get the funds to pull that together, where everybody goes can go off on their different different way. But let's all remain together, you know, and we can all talk to one another. So the American public would have a much, much better understanding of what this what this is and be prepared for it eventually it's going to come out and to be prepared for it is 
the main thing because we it's up to us i think to form our relationship with this presence and it it we don't want to leave it up to the presence to form its relationship with us because that may have been going on for a long time and it so far hasn't worked very well right. so it's time for us to take the take the um take the uh, catbird seat and do this and on that note jim thank you for an extraordinary morning uh this uh oh by the way folks peter lavenda will be following jim next week oh you'll love peter oh i love him he's one peter of my favorite is, yeah. peter is a genius yes he is. he's the real deal in that respect and uh you talk to him you know it and yeah so we're gonna have a wonderful time next week with peter and jim as always thank you for this truly extraordinary conversation well, thank you very, very much. Always welcome to be back. I love your program. Thank you so much, Whitley. Thank you, Jim. All right, bye-bye. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.